My name is Elizabeth Evans, and I'm a homeschooling mom to four kids, ages two through nine, and we are learning how to make joy normal. My name is Bonnie Landry, and I want to welcome you to season two of our podcast, Make Joy Normal. We want to thank everybody for their support and, and how much you've shared this podcast with friends and those who you think it would be helpful for. I am a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a grandma. I've been homeschooling for 30 years. My kids are ages 14 to 33. I only have one at home now. I'm a speaker, a writer, a blogger, and I guess we're podcasters now, Elizabeth. <laughs> I'm an advocate of joy, so welcome to our podcast. So I'm going to read this. I am a big fan of yours and your outlook is always one I need to hear. But I'm super distractible, so your podcast is great for me as it's a fresh reminder every week. I wanted to pass along a little win win I had today. After almost three years of homeschooling, using tips from you on the good days, one of my sons said to me, Mom, I get two special times with you today. One when we go for a walk later, and one right now while we're learning together. (laughs) It was a light bulb moment for me because I try to give them my full attention. Sometimes I try harder than others. But today my phone had just buzzed and my my son asked me if I was going to answer it, totally convicting me of my usual tendency. I told him that I would check it later, but that right now he had my full attention. And I guess maybe he didn't realize that was the case until I said so. Anyway, as with a lot of things in life at which I expected to be successful immediately or things I anticipated would show dramatic results right away, this is a fruit I had to be patient for. And it gave me some encouragement to keep doing what I'm doing, which I desperately need near the end of the school year. I just wanted to share this with you (laughs) from a podcast listener. So I just thought that was so sweet. Uh, and thank you, thank you. Listener. yeah thank you listener and thank you for anybody who you know I have the little messages we get on Instagram and Facebook it's just so makes us think we're doing the right thing when people are sending you these messages all the time about uh, how we've impacted their life in some ways so I'm really really grateful for that right well yeah. and it's also nice when our kids you know who I think maybe many of us feel aren't really always listening will give some sign that they are, right? Yeah. Like today, my, my six-year-old came up to me with a folded piece of paper. And I was in the middle of like putting a shirt on my daughter or something. I don't know. I couldn't look at it right away. And he ran off. And I opened it and it said, I love you, mommy. I'm thankful for you. Oh. And I was like, oh my gosh. And this is my son who is actually very guarded with showing his feelings and stuff. And so it meant a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't it so special? You know, we have to really hang on to those things too when we're having bad days. (laughs) Yes. I know. I hung it on my fridge. (laughs) Oh, good for you. Uh, You have some questions. We had discussed talking about literature and using literature to study with. So you had some questions about that. And this question comes up quite a lot. So I'm not sure what you're specifics are but let's go so I have a lot of questions I also I brought your book again for people who are watching I don't know if they can see it in the reverse or not Um, but your book homeschooling simplified how to read a book so it becomes the curriculum for all of our listeners who haven't heard us talk about this I do highly recommend this book it's very simple very straightforward but I still had questions I was thinking it would be a good day to maybe do more of a specific case study and what it looks like with an actual example. Okay. Um, And so I was texting you this week and you had suggested um, the door in the wall. Mm -hmm. 
I'll hold that up for anyone who's watching. The Door in the Wall by Marguerite DeAngeli, which I intentionally did not crack open because I thought if I want this to be really naturally how we do it, I don't want to pre-plan anything. So, right. I, I mean, I've read it several times over the years, but I haven't read it for a number of years. So I just thought I would not crack it open and sort of see what comes <laughs> of it. <laughs> Our listeners, and actually myself as well, I, I was actually arguing with my husband before f recording tonight. I think we own it but it's packed away with like our future homeschooling stuff when the kids mm -hmm. are older. I, cause I've seen the cover before. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, it's a lovely first novel, like early novel. So if you, if your kids were fairly young and this was kind of a new thing that you were, you know, the introduction of studying history through literature, it would be probably one of the books that I would recommend starting with. I read a lot of books that weren't historical that we studied, you know, we used as study kind of unit studies. Each book became its own little unit study sure. before I ever leapt into historical ones. But this would be a lovely because it's short and it's a simple, beautiful story. Okay. So it would be a nice starter book for uh, the first time you decide to do a historical study. Okay. Can you give us kind of like a really simple premise? What What's it about? Sure. So essentially there's this young squire so he's from a wealthy family and it's during the middle of the black plague i think it takes place in the 1400s so it's in the middle of an outbreak of the plague he suddenly finds that he's alone and he can't use his legs for, for some reason uh everyone you know most of people around him have died mm -hmm. you know including the servants of the household and whatnot and he's really alone in a house and calling for people and doesn't know how to help himself and his legs don't work and so he has to figure out what's what's going on and so a monk actually who's checking on people during the plague and helping helping people is going to you know be his befriends him and the story unfolds from there so how he learns to live with this particular problem he has and what this very very gentle man teaches him you know about wow. faith about life you know about accepting where you're at you know so a lot of really lovely qualities to the book sure wow that sounds interesting hmm. might have to pull that one out before the end of the year <laughs> okay so with that being said in your book you give examples of you know well, for the example of Are You My Mother, you give a partial list of topics you could study in mm -hmm. that particular book. What would be some list of topics that you could apply to The Door in the Wall? I'm just to sort of preface, I'm always going to start reading a book by looking up the author and and looking at the setting. Okay, so so when does it take place? Where does it take place? What do we know about the author? Was she British? Was she American? Was she Canadian? Uh, and when did she write the story? Was it written 50 years ago, 100 years ago, you know, last year? So I think that's just good for people to understand who the storyteller is and a little bit about them, okay? And then some really basic information about the book itself. So this particular book is set in England. So, you know, if we're dealing with fairly young children, I'll sort of focus on, say your family was reading it or, you know, people with slightly older children than yours was reading it, that the first thing I'm going to do is talk about England and look up where England is on the globe or the map. 
get the setting in place, okay, so mm -hmm. that they have an understanding of what's where the story is and how it relates to us. I'm also going to have a timeline, as I've told you before in other episodes, that I we always have a timeline up. So we have a, a one big historical timeline that's really complex. It's like 24 feet long. I've got the link to that and I'll put some show notes uh, where I have some really good resources that I'll link to. But I also like to have a really simple timeline. So that's something you could really easily make yourself. But basically, a really simple timeline of Western civilization. You know, mm -hmm. what is the, uh, you know, from the ancient cultures to, uh, you know, to the Romans, to, you know, us today, you know, and where the Middle Ages fits into that. So that I can just point like, okay, look, these were the Greeks. This is us. Here's where this happened, right? Mm -hmm. this, is, this is roughly the century where this happened. And, and so that p kids can start to put the pieces together in their mind. So it becomes less important reading things perfectly chronologically. We generally read, if I pick half a dozen books, say, from the Middle Ages, I'm going to probably read them chronologically, but not necessarily. As long as I can have a timeline up where I pinpoint when things are happening, that's really important, okay? The question was what? I, <laughs> I lost my <laughs> A list of topics you would topics, kind okay. of focus on. So the actual topics of what we're going to talk about are going to be what presents itself in the chapters of the book. If I can just sort of flip open the book uh, yes, and I, you know, I could read a couple of paragraphs or I can just sort of pick things out, right? So I'll read a couple of paragraphs and see if anything jumps out at me that this, this would be some things we would talk about, okay? Robin drew the coverlet close about his head and turned his face to the wall. He covered his ears and shut his eyes, for the sounds of the bells were deafening. All the bells of London were, were ringing the hours of knowns. So I might look that up. I might look up, what does that mean, ringing the hours of knowns? What does that mean? Well, my kids might be too young that that would be of interest. But I might say something just offhand. I might not look it up, but I might say, the church has rung the different times for prayers. Right? If I don't know what knowns means, I'm going to look that up and say, oh, the church has rung bells at different times for prayers. This was one of the prayers that he would hear. Everybody lived within the sound of, of a um, church, you mm -hmm. know, in a city like London. So he would be hearing that. That would be part of his daily experience, that he was hearing the bells ring in the morning, noon, and evening. That's something that, you know, would just be part of his daily life. But I might also say, oh, okay, this takes place in England, but do you know where London is? Well, probably your oldest son knows where London is, right? Mm -hmm. He probably knows it's in England. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. So you would say, well, that was a big city in England. I'll show you where that is on the map. So not only am I going to have a map of the world up, which I would always have up in a timeline of the world, I'm going to have a map of England. If I know I'm going to read a book. Now I might say after I finish reading this chapter, you know what, because this book's set in England, I want to just very quickly photocopy or print off a map of England because it's going to be relevant to this story. Mm -hmm. okay. St. Mary LeBeau was nearest, St. Swithin's was close by, and not far away stood great St. Paul's. What are those things? Churches. Yeah, yeah they're churches within, you know, the churches that he can hear. So obviously churches in London. You're going to know that, but your kids might not. Oh, listen, they're just naming off some churches that would, he would, would be close by him. There was a half dozen others within sound, each clamoring to be heard. It seemed to Robin as if they were all inside his head, screaming to be let out. Tears of vexation started to his eyes, but he held them back, for he remembered that a brave and gentle knight does not cry. 
I might not stop every sentence and explain something to my kids, but I might stop, especially if they're young, every paragraph or two, and just say, do you know what he was talking about? Saints within Saints, you know, bow, the bow bells. What was he talking about? You know, I, I want to make sure that they're tracking the story. Okay. Sure. So that's something where, you know, a mother is the best person really to know, you know, how much her kids know. So this might be a situation where, you know, you just very lightly say, oh, they're, they're talking about the churches in London, or you might actually get into it with where, where are those churches? What do they look like? Do, are they still standing today? We, uh, depending on your kid's level of interest and age, you, you might delve a little bit more into the, the actual topic, right? But for the purpose of this particular story, you want a little bit of information so that they can track the story a little better, right? So ever since he could remember, Robin had been told what was expected of him as the son of his father. Like other sons of noble family, he would be sent away from his mother and father to live in the household of another knight, where he would learn all the ways of knighthood. He would learn how to be of service to his liege lord, how to be courteous and gentle, and at the same time strong of heart. Robin thought of his father and how he looked on that him the last day when he rode off to the Scottish wars at the head of the column. Now remembering, Robin could almost feel the weight of his father's mailed glove on his shoulder as he said goodbye. There he had been straight and strong, standing there in the courtyard as the men rode forth. What are some things about, for a boy in particular, what's going to be of interest there? Maybe learning more about knights. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this young boy is, is going to be trained to be a knight, they might be the same age. You know, it's yeah. possible that he's only nine or ten years old. Maybe he's a little older. Um, and what is male? What does that mean? Most nine-year-old boys are going to know what male is, right? Yeah. Cool. So his entire glove was made of male, so it must have been pretty heavy. That might be something that I think, okay, at the end of the chapter, let's look up chain mail. Maybe there we can see a video on how chain mail is made. I'm going to pull those things out as interest suggests. So sometimes that's, you know, gender or very specific personality interests. Farewell, my son, his father had said. Forget not to be brave. God knows when we shall meet again. Farewell. He must not cry. Robin thought of his mother and how she too had said farewell the day after his tenth birthday. She had called to him in to her she had called him to her side in the solar where she sat weaving. Since your father left for the wars, it has been a comfort to have you near, she said. But you are ten and no longer a child to be looked after by the women folk. It is time now for you to leave me. John the Fletcher will come for you in a few days and take you to Sir Peter de Lindsay as we have arranged. There, too, you will be away from the danger of the plague, which seems to be spreading. And now it is fitting that I obey the wish of the Queen to be her lady-in-waiting, for she is in need of my care. Today an escort will be sent for me, and I shall go. John the Cook, Gregory, and Dame Ellen will serve you until John the Fletcher arrives. Farewell, my son. Be brave. Most of the time, kids at this point are going to realize, even if you've never really talked much about the Middle Ages, that life is very different in this mm -hmm. era. Right? right. And that's going to unfold more as we, you know, read further into the story. But the plague is going to come out very clearly because of what happens uh, later on in the story, you know, not within the first chapter or two, that, you know, the plague plays big. So what is the plague? That would to me be a really important thing. I could spend, you know, an hour, I could, we could do a whole sort of field trip afternoon on talking about the plague. Again, that's going to be interest led age-led, and also how sensitive your children are. Sure. Some kids are going to be very sensitive. They don't want to know that millions of people died of the plague, right? right. But, you know, it's a sickness that, that hurt a lot of people and killed a lot of people. So 
it's something that's going it's going to be important. It's handled very delicately in this particular book. Obviously, that's something that people are going to be talking about a lot. This is was a really serious illness, right? So right. you have to work with the sensitivity of your own kids. You know what would be appropriate to bring up with them. What you just read, I was kind of trying to jot down, um, kind of just specifically the break. So you talked about time period in terms of, you know, finding on a timeline, geography, location of London, and maybe, you know, the churches that he heard in the area, vocabulary. I don't know what you would label this as, but, you know, what is a knight? What does a knight do? You know, I mean, that all falls that. under the category of social studies, right? What is a knight? What does he do? So, I mean, partly there's vocabulary there. Yeah, You know, because every time we read a book, we come across words we're unfamiliar with or words that are in a, a new context. Sure. So lots of lots of vocabulary. Right. And sometimes, you know, when I'm reading to my kids, it's just a very offhand, oh, that means X. Uh, sometimes if the word is important enough that the story is going to make a lot more sense if we have a clear understanding of what it means, <clears throat> I'm actually going to stop and mm -hmm. say, okay, let's look that up. Because if we look it up, we'll be able to you know, understand this story better. So it sort of brings us to the idea that you, you, there's all, quite a lot of tools that you want close by, right? You want a good dictionary right. close by. You want um, your resource books close by. You want a map close by. You want a globe close by. I think a map, maps are great and obviously very um, easy for kids because they're flat and you can put them on a wall nearby where you're sitting but I think a globe is always really important because you can actually show them okay look from here we go around the world in real time you know this is all the way over here right yeah. you can point with your finger and they can get a better sense of it but a flat map is obviously just often our first go-to sure when we're when we're talking about geography sure so I've been wondering something a lot of I guess other homeschooling moms that I've followed have made character study kind of a big part of homeschooling. And I have never been quite clear on how to do that. Um, so how would you take a character, like the main character in the book, and teach character to your kids? What would that look right. like? And when you say character, you meaning like virtue? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So this this actually was a, is a remarkable book in that way because the the main character has a lot of growth. He experiences a lot of growth as a person. Of course, you know, we're, we need to take our kids, when we're talking about character, we're talking about the growth of a character, but we're also talking about their character, right? How we, mm -hmm. how we become better people, how we experience growth. So we, it needs to be relatable to that child. Say, for example, if you were reading a book about uh, that was about somebody coming to terms with, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some sort of more adult type flaw, uh, you know, coming to terms with how to deal with a difficult boss. Not really relatable for a kid. A lot, you know, and a lot of the historical fiction that we read our kids, the characters in it are children. Um, not always, but that often, that itself makes it more relatable. So when we see Robin, say, being unkind, the main character of the story, being unkind, I think there's a great opportunity to stop there and, and just say, 
you know, at the end of the chapter, what kind of a kid do you think Robin is? You know, is he, is he kind? Would you want him for a friend? Is this somebody that, that would be special to you? Why or why not? Right? Mm -hmm. So why or why not? Those are really often the questions that we're asking. There's an, uh, an incredible resource that, there's a, a really remarkable book called Teaching the Classics, okay? And you've probably heard me talk about it before. But essentially, uh, it's put out by the Center for Lit, okay? And I'll put this in the show notes. Essentially, what that book does is teach people how to study literature, okay? So it's talking about character studies. No, it's talking about the characters and how to study a character. You know, the study of how of virtue is also really important as, as part of the character study. So this is a book that, like, if you're at your, your kids' ages, it's a book that I would recommend a mom reading. It's an easy, easy book to read, okay? So it goes through the different aspects of literature, like character, theme, setting, plot and asks a lot of questions, sort of Socratically, asks a lot of questions using children's literature, okay? So that's why it makes it easy to learn a particular aspect. So say, for example, a setting. It'll take a children's work of literature, like an, um, an excerpt from a children's book or an entire children's book that's short and easy to identify the different aspects of literature. This is the setting, this is the theme, this is the conflict, this is the character, this is the um, aspects to that character. And so as a mom, would be super helpful in sort of bolstering your own ability to know what kinds of questions do I ask to draw this out of my children, right? Okay. So that's one tool. As my kids have gotten older, I've done it with all of them. I've used it as a co-op book, like had 10 kids over and done it as a co-op study. I've also done it individually with kids or as three or four of my kids together at the same time. I use this book a lot. I felt I think it's a really valuable book. When you go on the website, you can buy a DVD that goes along with it. I've never used the DVD, but I have heard that it's really, really good. It's just quite a bit more expensive to get the DVD. The book's probably 25 or $30, and the set, I think, is about 100 Okay. Okay. All right. So, so that's one way. Um, I've also, I will link this particular episode to a blog post that I've done on this topic, like, you know, studying together. And what I've done in that, in the blog post is I sort of outline a bunch of kinds of questions that you can ask. If this is unfamiliar for you, you know, what kinds of questions can you ask? I'm just flipping through it right now. Okay, so questions to ask and think about when they're reading aloud, okay? Where is the story happening? Do the characters live near, near each other? Where are their grandparents from, do you think? You know, maybe you don't know, but where might they be from? Where do they get water? How do they wash? And these aren't, you're not going to sit down and read these. You're going to have these kind of in your mind, okay? You might have a, a list of them sitting beside your desk. So you, if you if you really don't know what kinds of questions to ask, you'll have read through this little list to kind of prepare yourself. Oh, okay, these are the kinds of questions I could ask. Now, some of them are more about character and virtue. Uh, some of them are just more about, you know, the book itself. Do they have weapons? Do they have a garden? What do they want? What does the character want? Okay, is that does that change over the course of the book? Does what they want change? You know, because that's what drives a person. That's what moves a story forward is what the characters want, right? Mm -hmm. What's preventing them from getting what they want? What do you think the character is going to do? What do you think? So Robin, this man is helping Robin. He doesn't like it at first. So what do you think he's going to do? 
you know, he can't run away. His legs don't work. What do you think he'll do? Um, is he frightened? Is he happy? Is he wondering? Uh, how long ago was this? What kind of food did they eat? Um, who is the story about? Why are they behaving that way? Why is Robin behaving that way? And it might be an opportunity to say, hey, when you're sick, you're grumpy. You get grumpy when you're sick. If you can't do something, you're frustrated and you're grumpy. I get grumpy when I can't accomplish the things I want to accomplish. So, you know, what's, what's that like? So he can't use his legs. He must be really frustrated. Can you imagine how frustrated you would feel? Maybe even angry at people around you because your legs don't work. Just a, a sort of a, an opportunity to kind of reflect on that sort of thing. There's also a really good resource, and I'm going off on a tangent of resources right now, but I think it's just really valuable. There's a resource called Reading Your Way Through History, a timetable of worthy, a timeline of worthwhile history reading in print. So they go through from ancient civilization to modern, and they recommend a few books. But one of the books that they draw from, so say, for example, The Ancient World. They draw from the Book of Virtues. Are you familiar with the Book of Virtues? That sounds familiar. Okay. So the Book of Virtues is by William Bennett. And what he does, he draws stories from all different cultures all over the world, mythology, Bible stories, all kinds of stories from all uh, walks of life. And he uses them as, as ways to teach about and learn about virtue, right? Character training. And so in this particular reading list, they include stories that would fit into a particular timeline. So, so for the Middle Ages, they will have stories from the Book of Virtues that are either set in the Middle Ages or, or were written in the Middle Ages that you okay. can uh, add to your historical study. Okay. So what a beautiful, so it's just a really be beautiful compilation. So that's online. You don't have to buy anything. I just print it out every three or four years. I've actually printed it out so that I can use it for whatever historical period we're studying, right? Okay. Really valuable resource. That was actually one of my questions. Yeah. Like what books would you use alongside the door in the wall to extend? So you would find those on that list? Some of them for sure I would find on this list. Some of them are ones I've developed over the years myself. Okay. Uh, some of them, so Book of Virtues would be a great book to have on hand. You know, with kids your age, a lot of those stories would be totally appropriate. If I have young kids, I'm also going to have a list of storybooks that are going to level things up for the younger kids. Now, older kids love to read storybooks as well. So it's just yeah. going to flesh out some of life in the Middle Ages to read storybooks alongside the books that you're reading. So I might not be reading that when I sit down to read our novel together. I might, I might pull out a storybook and say, let's read this book first and then I'll read a chapter of the other book. But I'm probably just gonna leave them laying around the living room because they're not necessarily relevant to this exact story, but they're mm -hmm. going to help the child understand the time period, right? I wrote down a few books and again, I'll link these so people don't have to write these all down, but I wrote down a few storybooks that would just be really helpful that are set in the Middle Ages, okay? There's several by Tommy Di Paolo, mm -hmm. so, you know, who just uh, passed away recently, and he is um, got some beautiful books. So one is, is called Francis the Poor Man of Assisi, The Knight and the Dragon, Brother Francis of Assisi. He has another one called Clown of God. Yeah, I think you, it, that's one of your favorite stories too, yeah. set in the Middle Ages, just a beautiful story. And, you know, nothing to do with Robin, but that's okay. <laughs> a book that our kids got super jazzed about was called A Medieval Feast by Aliki. A Medieval Feast is just about this family who finds out that they're going to have, uh, the king is, and his wife are going to come 
and visit at their castle. And so they have to really hustle and get ready for this medieval feast that they're going to put on. And so it describes in detail the process of getting ready for the medieval feast. It is a beautiful, charming storybook. And it just gives you a sense of life in the Middle Ages. This book I've not read myself, but I watched a video of it being read on YouTube. It's called Marguerite Writes a Book. Okay. Uh, so also about, you know, life in the Middle Ages. Uh, St. George and the Dragon and the Kitchen Knight. So these were a few books that were great if you have young kids or if you don't. They just like reading stories that are going to flesh out some of maybe the, the details that they might miss in a novel, right? That the kids okay. might miss or that might not actually be in the novel as it's, you know, the story's written at a higher level. So the other books that I would have on hand and easily accessible from the library are uh, eyewitness books. And there's going, there's probably half a dozen that are um, from the Middle Ages. So Knight, Medieval Life, Castle, Arms and Armor, Da Vinci and His Times. These are, these are books set in that era. Fabulous to just have on hand. We have a huge collection that I bought over the years of eyewitness books. We'd start a study and I'd buy three or four set in that particular time frame so mm -hmm. that, you know, my, my kids could just pull them out when they wanted to. But they're all, you know, most eyewitness books are in the library as well. So it's huge. There's, I don't know, 50 different eyewitness books that are all okay. in science and social studies. So those are things that I would want to have on hand for sure because they're really visually pleasing and they're going to pull everybody in. In terms of leveling up, I'm going to make sure that I have a, a good set of encyclopedias on hand. important to me to be able to say to my kids, either let's look up what that thing means. Let's look up London. How big is London? How many people lived there in the Middle Ages? How many people live there now? I'm going to want to have those conversations with my older kids. Uh, but also things like, well, how far is it from London to, you know, whatever town he ends up in? You know, how far does he, they're walking. How long does that take to walk from yeah. this place to that place? Those might not be things you're addressing right now, but they might come later on, right? You're, you know, yeah. if you're homeschool for long enough, you're going to cycle through the Middle Ages, you know, every few years. Right. <laughs> right. Did you, I'm sure you've answered this before. You can blame it on my pregnancy brain. Would you <laughs> use this? as history for the year. So maybe you'd start with the door in the wall and then whether you'd continue with medieval times or switch it up, would this be your history? Or yeah, absolutely. something else? When my kids were younger, I would, each book, every little book was its own unit study. Okay. So I might only read one novel on a particular topic and it would become its own unit study. That's just how we read books in our house, right? We delve okay. into them, we you know, get the most, we kind of milk them. With something like this, and if my kids were older, if they're interested in the Middle Ages, I'm going to want to take that as far as I can. Now I might read three books, and then they're saturated. They kind of reach their saturation point. You, you know when they've reached their saturation point. You're working with them every day. Younger ones, say you're, you know, your oldest was 12 or 13 and they're totally into the Middle Ages. You might read six or seven books on the Middle Ages through the course of the school year. And, you know, they're loving it. Uh, your younger kids might not be as interested. That's okay. They'll wander away. They'll do their thing. You know, if you're, as long as you're engaging them in other ways, they're going to be totally uh, into it, but they might not be tracking, you know, for the entire school year. So I was sort of, it would tend to aim for my older kids. Yeah. This might be its own little unit study. We might read this book and really milk it and really enjoy it and really get all we can out of it and then go on to some other topic right but we know that okay we've spent we've really delved into the middle ages in this particular book 
Would so, it be a chapter a day, a chapter a week? Would it vary? I would read pretty much every day. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. depending on the book, a chapter might be too long. I might read yeah. anywhere between 10 minutes and half an hour. If my kids okay. are young, you know, if I can get 10 minutes of reading in, I'm going to be happy with that. As they get older, I'm going to be able to extend that. Okay. So then would you take a book like that and you, you're still extending throughout, but would there be kind of a specific not specific time, but would you finish it generally, you know, let's say a book like that, maybe like two weeks if you're reading every day, but still be talking about medieval times after, or would you slow it down in between to delve into, you know, more specific topics such as what is the plague, what did that look like, you mm -hmm. know, and then maybe a couple days later pick the book back up again. What would that look like? Yeah, I mean, generally what brings the kids to the table is the good novel you're reading. Sure. Right? So I would tend to read every day because it's what they would want, right? Kids mm -hmm. like to be read to. But how long I read would kind of depend on how much it's holding my kids' attention. And also how, how deep we delve into it is going to be very, it's going to change quite a bit from day to day. So some days we might be, they might be so into it and whatever we're talking about. So we put the book down, I'll say, oh my gosh, do you guys want to uh, read a little bit about the Black Plague? Right? Because it was pretty awful. And some of them might say, no, so fine. I'm just going to let them wander off. If some of my kids are tracking and into it, I'm going to say, yeah, okay, let's, let's uh, look, up, look this up. So maybe we look it up on, uh, you know, the history of the Black Plague. We find out about, you know, the nursery rhymes that you know cropped up because of the plague and you know various other things just interesting facts about the plague or we might watch a video on it yeah. I, I'm just going to sort of take that for what we can some days they're going to say all me just saying the black plague was a really uh, really bad disease that happened in the middle ages it was carried by rats because the things weren't very sanitary in those days and so what do you mean by that? Okay, well, they, you know, dumped all their, you know, potties out the window, right? And all their garbage got, you know, that's part of the reason why it wasn't sanitary. You know, ew, gross. You know, so they might want to delve into that further. They might want, they might just want to end it there. Oh, okay, black pig was a bad disease. You know, as they get older, you're going to provide more information. When kids are young, what we're trying to do is give them a sense of culture and our place in it. You know, the, the, the story of, of being human. And we delve further and further into that as they get older, as, you know, more towards high school, you're talking more about politics and stuff. So when they're young, we're really spending a lot more time just talking about, you know, the culture and how it compares with how we live now. So as you're sharing this, I'm trying to think of my family and, you know, I, my kids are still pretty young. My, my oldest is only nine and a half. And he does show interest in some things, but I just think generally, I'm not sure they would want to go deeper. I think, like the other day, we're reading All of a Kind Family. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. It's about five girls in, uh, a family of five girls in 1914, I think it is. And it's just, each chapter is just like a snapshot of their life. So it's not necessarily right. a chronological story. Like there's a chapter where, four of the five get scarlet fever. And it's just kind right. of about what that looks like in the house and everything. My kids asked, well, what's scarlet fever? And I was like, oh, well, you know, it's a, it was a sickness. It's a rash. It's not really around anymore. And if it is, it's very easily treatable. And they were like, okay. 
And that was really it. Yeah, I mean, uh, at their age, that's definitely going to be appropriate. The very fact that you look up England and find out where that is on a map compared to where you live now, and that might be, and that this was set this many hundred years ago, that might be all you do, right? I mean, I can guarantee yeah. you they're picking up more than that than might outwardly discuss. Yeah. You know, but if that's that's just your that's just the training ground, you know, you're not going to delve into every book really deeply. You're going to delve sure. in to the level that they can appreciate. And sometimes appreciation is, is age related and sometimes it's interest related. So sometimes it's just the engagement of the actual writers. You know, this is a really engaging writer and I really want right. to the kids. So the kids really led that. Okay. Right. But I guess my fear is just... My fear is just that my kids aren't going to want to extend at all. <laughs> yeah. And they'll just want to listen to the story. So, yeah. But maybe that'll come with age. Yeah. It does. And it comes with, you know, our attitude, the attitude that we present it with sure. as, uh, as the parents. You know, we don't want to cram it down their throat. We very much want it to be child led. Um, another thing that we did for several times over the course of the years when we were studying some particular historical period. Now, I, my kids would have been a little older at this point, say between maybe the oldest was 12, 13, 14, 15, that kind of age range. And when I had when I had my girls, they were kind of into this, that say we were studying something like ancient Rome, that we would put on something that we would invite people to. So as we're reading our various stories that are set in ancient Rome and over the course of the school year, we're planning this event. Uh, that we're going to have two or three other families over and we're going to have this event. So that kind of gets excitement and momentum going. Sometimes watching a movie or going on a field trip is how you get the excitement and momentum going for something. By way of example, if you went to a museum and were showing the kids, say, you know, paintings or sculpture or something like that, that was done in the Middle Ages, that it might get them really jazzed up about that sort of thing. It might, you might talk about a particular war or the Crusades or something that was, you know, would capture their interest, right? But you just can't flog them with it. If they're not interested at that moment in time, that's okay too. Sure. Right. Okay. So one of the other questions I had was, when you pick out a book, will you read the entire thing or will you read a chapter, you know, the night before or just read it at the same time along with your kids? I just read it at the same time along with my kids. What okay. I want to know, because if I, so I could pre-read a book, I could do that, or I could pre-read the chapter the night before and plan what, out what we do. There would be nothing wrong with that. What I want though is for them, I want to follow their lead. And so when you're talking about interest-based, that's what you hang on to, right? That's the knowledge and information that you hang on to generally, if it's interest-based. And it grabs you more, you're more, you more want to go down those, uh, those paths of interest. So I loved seeing where they go with it. It was, I don't know, in, I saw it as, I don't know, just not a, not a good use of my time to pre-read the chapter or maybe giving me opportunity to kind of decide on my own agenda. Okay, this is what I want to do with this. But what I really preferred doing was seeing where the kids took it, right? That was more interesting right. and more fun. Yeah. Because um, with just another example, we were reading, again, the All of a Kind Family, and they mentioned a bed warmer. 
And at first it didn't click what it was. And then I was reading on and I realized, oh, I know what this is. So I asked my son if he knows what it was. He didn't. And so <laughs> I actually used the example. I said, do you remember in Pirates of the Caribbean when Elizabeth Swan, her maid was getting her, like helping get ready for bed and she stuck this like pot thing under the covers. And he was like, yeah. And I said, that was to warm up the bed before there was heating. It was to keep like their feet warm and stuff. And he right. was like, oh yeah. <laughs> what a great way to make that connection, right? And yeah. the more connections we can make for them, the better, you know, and to have them have this strong sense of history. I think it's also a, a good idea to kind of step back to the storybook, especially, you know, at your particular kids' ages, that when we step back to a storybook, we realize how much we can actually get out of a storybook. Now, maybe the first time you read it, you talk about one thing that happens in the book. You know, the next time you read it, you might talk about something different. But say, say uh, the Tommy de Paula books, you have a you have a book, and maybe it's a book you've read several times to your kids, and it takes place in the Middle Ages, but you haven't made that connection. But then you're reading a book like this, and it's like, oh, you remember when St. Francis lived? That was kind of around the same time. He was in Italy, and this is in England, and so here's Italy, here's England, and look where they are from us. Like, Italy and England are actually quite close to each other, but in those days, you wouldn't have gone very easily from one place to another. But look how far it is from where we are, right? You have the whole Atlantic Ocean that you have to cross. Getting them to make those connection points. And so what a what a gift for us to, that, that we raise kids who not only read in a wondering way, right? They wonder about things, but they also think in a wondering way, right? That nothing ever is just as it is. You know, if they look at a house, if say, say one of the stories, you know, like the Little House in the Prairie books, and they talk about building things all the time, you know, how Pa builds something. Uh, you know, he builds a fire break, and he builds a house, and he builds a chimney, and, you know, all these things that he makes. Well, what a wonderful thing when, a, when kids see a house, and maybe they go to a friend's house, and they have a, a fireplace, and, like, oh, look at that fireplace, that's made of bricks. Do you remember how Pa made his fireplace? Right, that they're... They're thinking those things. Even if you don't make the connections, they might. Like, oh, look at the chimney. Oh, a chimney. Pa made a chimney. What a wonderful thing to be a thinking person, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't grow up in a place where they grow vegetables, you know, that, that's not part of your reference point. You read Little House on the Prairie or you read something else. You read this book where they're growing vegetables in the garden. It's like, oh, you know, I went to the store. I wonder where those were grown. Yeah. Look, Oh, look, those were grown in California. You know, or those are grown right here in our own town. Isn't that cool? You know, to to bring along those connection points through all the things um, of interest. So we can do that with storybooks. We can do that with TV shows. We can do that with movies we watch. We can do it with our grandparents, you know, or whatever means we have at our disposal to to make the connection points so that kids are wondering. And that's sometimes all we have to do with a book like this or a book like storybook that they might read. I don't know what's a storybook your kids really love right now. Oh, fancy Nancy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, but that, that doesn't exclude, uh, you know, connection points. They, if they were to read a book like this and they're talking about, you know, what Robin's wearing, his hose and his, tu his tunic, well, well, that's pretty different from fancy Nancy's dresses. I wonder when that changed. Like, it kind of looks like a dress. His tunic kind of looks like a dress. I wonder when that changed, when men stopped wearing tunics. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I wonder. And, you know, sometimes that's all you need to do is ask the one, the question of wonder, 
because another time they might say, oh, they might actually say, well, when did men stop wearing tunics? Yeah. You know, and then you think, okay, here's a little trail we're going to go down. Right. Right. Or when did dresses like Fancy Nancy's come into fashion? You know, when did girls start wearing that sort of thing instead of full length gowns? You know, and don't right. those dresses look kind of complicated? Well, yeah, yeah, they're kind of complicated. I wonder why. And you just saying, I wonder why, might be all it takes for them to to think about thing or things or for you to be able to take them by the hand on a little trail, right? Well, I have, do we have time for two more questions, do you think? think? So. One question was when I was refreshing, looking through your book before tonight's <laughs> recording. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, you had mentioned that you would look at descriptive paragraphs or sentences that highlight the author's style. Mm -hmm. I would never have thought to do that. So how does that kind of come up organically? And is that even something you would do with younger kids or would you save it more for your, you know, middle school, high school kids? Right. I mean, in general, older kids. But mm -hmm. sometimes I would pick something out. I'll, I'll just see if something pops out um, with this particular book. Because I thought it was a really good topic, an idea of just because you know it's something we as adults my husband and I'll have conversations on the difference between JK Rowling and Tolkien's writing you know I think it's interesting for kids to start recognizing that mm -hmm. as they're reading you know because they're they kind of have time to read a lot more than we do as adults and to kind of hone that ability to make those connections. Yeah. I mean, I think with kids, I would be more, younger kids, I'd be more inclined to just talk about a particular word or phrase yeah. where I would say, oh, oh, I like that phrase. Or, or what, isn't that a good word? Do you guys like that word? Do you know what it means? And maybe it's an unusual word or unusual turn of phrase. And you, you could ask them, you know, what do you think that means? Why do you think you wrote it that way? Why didn't he just say, like even words like, like this, um, sweet lad, she begged, twill give thee strength and mend those ailing limbs. Okay, so this was obviously a, a style of speech in that era, but mend those ailing limbs. What does she mean by that? To mend those ailing limbs. Now they probably, if you started to dissect that, they'd probably get to know uh, what that meant. You know, we know what it means to mend something, you know what the limbs are, what are ailing. They might know what that means. So if we're men, why would they say that instead of just fix your legs? Why would she yeah. say it that way? Why would the why would the writer say it that way? Well, it sounds pretty cool. Mend those ailing limbs, and it sounds kind of poetic. So absolutely, you could do that with younger kids, but you'd probably just look at words or phrases rather than a, a paragraph and talk about okay. this particular author. Have you noticed that that he writes this particular way i'd probably more say why do you think the writer wrote that that way or why do you mm -hmm. think that lady's speaking that way so that yeah. we can kind of put the language under a microscope a little bit right you know that's interesting you use that kind of as an example my um my oldest he his dad read lord of the rings to him and now i'm reading through it and there's certain things that i think i would assume he wouldn't pick up on but there was an instance, I don't know if it was a neighborhood friend or there was some circumstance that, that this came up and my son used this as an example. There's a line that Tolkien uses to kind of describe Aragorn. And right. he says that all that glitters is not gold 
and all that is gold doesn't glitter. Something like that. I totally right. butchered it. But <laughs> my son remembers that and uses it correctly as describing other things. And I, that just really amazed me because it really is a very powerful, you know, turn of phrase. And for a eight, nine-year-old to pick up on that, I was pretty impressed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did want to, well... I was going to look up the actual quote for all those Tolkien fans so they're not mad at me for butchering it. But well, why don't you look it up and send it to me and I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> okay, so my last question would be, so I've kind of tried implementing this and what I've read in your book in small ways as I'm kind of trying to get used to it. And it always feels so unnatural and robotic. And so I was just wondering what advice you would give for myself or other moms and dads that kind of maybe struggle with feeling similarly. So what part are you talking feels robotic? I, I think it's mostly, you know, like the pausing and reading. It's just something that, it, and I know you've said you don't have to do it. Maybe you'll do it every paragraph or every, you know, couple paragraphs, depending on Or even at the, the end need. of the chapter, yeah. Yeah, but but sometimes it just, I'm not used to stopping and, you know, even if it is something important to address, it just, it feels unnatural, you know, and it, and it also feels like, am I throwing my kids off by stopping or by addressing this? I don't know if that makes sense, but. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be, it's a balancing act. You have to decide when stopping is appropriate because, you know, you don't want to stop a story 20 times in a chapter, you know, right. so you have to be sensitive to what you think might be the thing that you want to pull out at that moment. If I was stopping in the middle of a chapter, there, it would usually be to ask a question. If I thought they didn't understand something or, or didn't understand a term. So in terms of just talking about the chapter and what happened in it, that's usually going to happen after I read the chapter. Mm -hmm. But if if I was reading something and I I thought, okay, they, they may not understand this, I might say, are you guys following what that means? And they might say, yeah. And then, okay, just keep reading. Or do you guys know what I'm just going to pick up the books? It's so much easier if I have an actual example in front of me. Robin's bedchamber was off the main hall or living room of the house in an embrasure of the thick wall. Like the hall, Robin's room was somewhat chapel-like, for the house of the time of Edward III of England were very little different from churches. Do you guys know what a bedchamber is? Oh, yeah, okay. You know, a bedroom? Yeah, bedroom, right? So it would be that kind of thing where I just talk and move on, right? But sometimes there might be something that becomes much more meaningful that we stop and actually discuss in the middle of a chapter. But it's important not to force that. Discuss it if discussing it seems like a good idea if discussing it seems like it's going to help them track with the story or if they're engaged and they want to discuss it that's going to take some practice in a sense from the parent for for sort of sensing when is a good time to sort of stop or start or necessary to do in order to follow the story better and i think that again that's something that really starts with storybooks right so say, for example, you're reading, you know, you're reading Peter Rabbit and, you know, you get to the end of the page and you'll say, you know, maybe Peter Rabbit's hiding and you'll say, oh, uh oh, here comes Mr. McGregor. 
Now, they might know the story perfectly, but you still could ask the question, what do you think is going to happen? That It's that simple, right? What do you think is going to happen? And they might say, just read, you know, and that's okay. Okay, I'll read. Let's find out what happens. You know, and they might say, oh, I don't like this part. And they say, do you know anybody like Mr. McGregor? You know, you can, you can just incorporate those kinds of wonderings into your storybooks. And it might only happen once per storybook. It might not happen at all. It might happen 10 times. It de- kind of depends, but you're leading them down the wondering path. And you have to be sensitive to when you're going to irritate them because you don't want to irritate the kids in the middle of a story either. Right. You know, so often I would just be stopping and saying things like, uh, you know, you guys following this? Are you understanding what's what's happening in the story? And even with older kids, sometimes if you're reading a much more complex story with older kids, you know, you might say, are you guys tracking? Because I'm having a little bit of trouble keeping track of the characters here, right? And somebody might say, oh, yeah, I understand. This is so-and-so and so-and-so, and they're doing this, right? Oh, okay, thanks. That clears it up. Because, you know, when you're reading, sometimes you lose your place in a, like an adult-type novel. Yeah. So hopefully that's helpful. But it's, you know, it's a dance, right? You're learning yeah. sort of where where is appropriate to ask the questions. And uh, sometimes the questions come because of what you're reading alongside the storybook. You know, it maybe you're reading a book on, uh, you know, just lay it, leave it laying around, a book on armor. Oh, look at that guy. Well, is, is that a real character or is that just somebody made up? Did he live at the same time as, as when our story is set? I don't know. You know, let's find out. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not always in, in the context of the story. So is that helpful? Has this been, feels like it sort of makes it a little more clear how it rolls out? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I hope for our listeners as well. Well, we might have to do a few more on (laughs) episodes on this idea because I think for many people when they get into it they like the idea of it because it's cozy and you're reading to your kids and learning's happening really naturally but until you get into it you don't always know so it was just maybe a reminder if people have questions that come out of this episode uh, don't hesitate to send them to us at my Facebook page Make Joy Normal or Instagram or my email on my um, website bonnielandry.ca hesitate to submit questions that are spin-offs of this or other things um, we're happy always happy to address them also you know where we have interviews lined up which is great sometimes you know if I don't feel like your questions are things that I am the right person to ask I want to ask somebody else and so uh, it's really great having a list of people that we can ask questions of as well that we can interview and get your questions answered better too so uh, don't forget to subscribe, uh, either via YouTube or become a subscriber of this podcast. The more subscribers we have, the easier a podcast is to find, right? If somebody's looking up homeschooling podcasts, or is rising to the top and will come up better for people as they're searching for podcasts that would be good listening material. So, and thank you for the reviews that people have left and reviews are always really helpful for us too. So thank you for that. So have a great evening. Thank you. You too. Yeah, I will. And a lovely weekend. And we'll come in next week where there's more questions about this. I'd be fine with if we wanted to do another episode of this or if we want to just wrap it up here. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Take care.